filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. The other day, I, I had to... I, I was with my four-year-old daughter uh, upstairs in our house, and I had to, to run downstairs for something. And I told her I'd be right back. And there was a tiny American flag on the floor. The the kind that's on just the little stick that they hand out at the 4th of July parade or whatever. Um, was lying on the floor. And uh, she asked me for it. Uh, I I said, sure. She asked me very nicely. I was very happy that that she didn't just say, I want that flag. She, She nicely asked, will you please hand that flag to me, daddy? I said, of course. Here you go. She said, thank you. And then as I go downstairs... Uh, I look back over my shoulder and she's waving it kind of in a very broad arc and singing, oh, 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 and I ran downstairs clutching my chest because my heart was so full in that moment. That's pretty great. Yep. I just like unprompted. She just asked for a flag and mm. started being a supporter just right there it was great i have nothing funny to say about that that's just cute (laughs) hey hey welcome in (laughs) shortest cold open ever uh this is filibuster uh the black and red united and four-year-olds being adorable podcast which is that that second one's probably better than what we actually do. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason yeah. Anderson and Ben Bromley. We'd we'll probably get from... more uh, listeners if we just talked about four year olds being adorable. It's that that's a verifiable fact, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're all from BlackAndRedUnited.com, where we talk about soccer, not four year olds being cute most of the time. Sometimes, obviously, four year olds being cute, one year olds being cute, two year olds being cute. I think that's. That's mostly what we have in our little crew here. Uh, sometimes that sneaks in, but mostly it's soccer. Mostly it's DC United. That's what we're talking about tonight. The black and red drew the Metro's three to three at Audi field. Uh, in really what was a very wild game, especially the ending. Stupid. Uh, it was a dumb game. Soccer is a dumb game. And this was an example of soccer being a dumb game. Sometimes it's a fun, dumb game. Sometimes it's fun until it isn't anymore. Um, this was one of those games. We're also going to uh, answer your questions later in the second segment. Uh, we're going to break open the Twitter box for that. Before we do anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, as simple as possible, I have a Goose Island uh, Oktoberfest. Um, I went searching for beer and went to... Uh, I should have gone to a different store than I did, but I was after the better one was closed. And so I went to the one that was still open and they didn't have very many things I wanted. I briefly thought about buying a large quantity of cheap beer, uh, but I did see this Oktoberfest and was like, all right, it's, you know, it's not quite Oktoberfest weather, even though it is literal Oktoberfest. I I like the weather to be a little colder, but whatever. Um, It's pretty good. 
Glad to hear that. Sunday, it sounds like, is going to be actual Oktoberfest mm-hmm. weather. So, uh, And I'll be out of these beers by then. <laughs> you just got to buy some more. I, I guess. I'm I'm celebrating the last vestiges of summer with a gin Ricky green hat gin from here in the district. Uh, it is as always delicious and refreshing and I'm sitting in actual air conditioning. So it's maybe not even as refreshing as it could be, but it's, it's you guys know, I like a gin Ricky Ben. Just like Adam is being uh, traditional with his drink. I'm also being traditional with my drink. I just went with a uh, Manhattan with uh benchmark bourbon uh the the value bourbon from buffalo trace distillery and whatever my local abc store has in their sweet vermouth aisle i don't know what it is it's sweet vermouth it doesn't matter <laughs> and actually i i believed that for a long time then i had really good vermouth and so no don't at me they're... adam don't <laughs> at me i will at you adam don't if jason at me. will not log off i will at well, you uh, then, to be frank, uh, Adam is speaking to you. It's different. Don't at me. Ben has gone full digital native. None of you are free from sin. I, I don't know what that has to do with anything. Just online. I mean, if Jason's going to award a most online player of a certain soccer league, I can tell people not to at me in real life. I don't know that that has anything to do with anything, but I'm going to just say it. I feel like asking more questions will just lead me down a path I don't want to travel. So I'm going to turn to DC United instead. Yeah, they uh, the black and red should have won on Sunday. They took the lead three different times against the New York Red Bulls. And each time Bradley Wright Phillips tied it up uh, sometimes with chances that just made no sense in how they uh, came to be. Sometimes uh, there was an inexplicable mistake. Sometimes it was a not even a half chance from a tight angle. And sometimes the referee made an inexplicable decision to let play continue and uh, freak deflection puts the ball in the net. It was three to three in the end. DC United taking one point when they really needed three to really feel good in their playoff push goals for DC United anyway from Paul Ariola, Wayne Rooney and Lucho Acosta um Ben why is BWP like why I mean why the, why why is he there We just have to accept that he's one of the best strikers in MLS history as much as it pains me to to admit that and he's always his best against DC United it's just how it is and it sucks and he's just really good and I can't wait for him to retire. <laughs> uh this game felt a little bit I don't know if you guys played uh sports video games in the early 90s on the Sega Genesis or Super Nintendo. Uh dating myself I'm sure. Um there was a thing called CPU assist on there that if you were way ahead or way behind it would basically make whoever was losing their uh their shots would just start going in in basketball or or they would break a million tackles in football it would just basically help keep the game even even more than MLS tries to do um uh, with with their 
semi-enforced parody. Uh, and and the, the goals Bradley Wright Phillips scored in this game felt like CPU assist. Like DC United would get momentum going and, and start looking really good. And then all of a sudden there was a goal the other way. It was, well, it was weird. Even though I'm younger than you, uh, I'll reference an older video game. It seems like uh, BWP is Bo Jackson in Tech Mobile. Uh, Wayne Rooney missed a couple of, of chances in this one. We actually got a question in the Twitter box that I'm not going to ask now because I was going to mention it here anyway. Um, hit the woodwork on a, a, a shot that would have made it three to one. Uh, also missed a one V one opportunity with Robles. He's, he's missing a few chances. Jason, are you worried about uh, that? At no. all? Did, did you see the goal he scored? Um, <laughs> I did. Did, did hoping you would mention that. Of that finish. Um, because, look, there isn't a player in the league that goes in and just converts every chance they get. Um, and that's not just an MLS thing. That's an everywhere thing. Uh, Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo don't convert every chance that they get either. Um, is it aggravating in this specific game uh, that, you know, the, the shot off the crossbar was a little bit aggravating? Maybe the one-on-one is a little more because I think – um, you know, looking back on it, Rooney, I, I think Rooney felt that he had faked Robles out. Um, and he just hadn't like, like his, he changes his gate. Uh, I think he thinks that Robles is going to buy it and then he's just going to shoot right past him. Um, so on one hand, it's aggravating. On another hand, I mean, the chances that the chances, the, the, position that he's putting himself in to get onto these chances is so much different than what we were used to before. And even what other teams in the league that have good strikers, um, most, most forwards in MLS aren't getting these chances, uh, much less finishing them or not. They just aren't even getting these opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you have a striker who's missing a couple chances, but is still burying, um, you know, get, getting getting a goal or an assist pretty much every time he appears. Um, the, his goal was ridiculous. Uh, maybe Zlatan is the only other forward in the league that puts it away. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not too worried. I guess is the short way of putting it. I think um, Rooney had a pretty good game, and I think that DC United doesn't need to, they don't need to score five or six goals to beat the Red Bulls. They, what they need to do is. Um, do a little bit better at the defending. Uh, and in this case, as rare as it is, say, do a little bit better in goal. Um, and and they come away from this game without having to break a sweat over um, Rooney's one-on-one getting saved or, or um, a shot off the crossbar. Uh, yeah. I think this game I'm is far more evidence that this team is what we've thought it was all along, which is a team that is very good going forward and is not very good at the bat. Uh, to continue on on your point about Rooney, Joseph Martinez, who now has 30 goals this year, um, he missed a couple of big chances against DC United in the game that that we beat Atlanta. And he's I, I haven't looked up the stats, but I'm sure he is near the top of the league in number of missed chances just because he gets so many chances. Right. He's going to score a million of them. And he's going to miss a million of them. A big chance is a chance that is better than 50 50. Uh, in in soccer and that's a uh, you don't get very many of those so so missing 
now and then isn't a big deal. It's not, we gave Darren Maddox some flack early in the season for missing chances, but those were, um, you know, tripping over the ball type missing chances, things that don't even go down as a shot or, or a chance, um, because they, they were messed up. Um, and we also gave him credit for finishing the hardest chances he got in a game while missing some of the easier, the, the bigger ones. Um, if Rooney is getting three big chances a game, I really like where this team is going, especially if Paul Ariola and Lucho Acosta, and now that Yamil Assad is back on the field, if they're also getting chances, um, that that's a chance for United to score a lot of goals. And that that's a good thing. But like Jason said, uh, problems at the back. Bill Hamid made a pretty rare mistake in this one on the first goal, which led to BWP biking home a goal from six yards and a very weird sequence. Um, I, I don't know how much we want to dwell on that because Bill Hamid, it turns out, is human. He will make ridiculous saves and sometimes he makes a mistake, just like basically every goalkeeper in the world. Um, I don't know if we if there's more to dive down on there. I mean, if not, not really. Um, I just... It feels a little bit, um, to go back to the video game metaphor, um, if you've ever played football manager, there are going to be games where the other team just gets chances that they didn't really earn, and it's inexplicable. Otherwise, and this has felt a lot like that. Like This is just a, you know, it's a recycled free kick that Kaku puts back in, Parker heads it down. Any other time... Hamid takes this correctly, but for whatever reason, maybe he didn't, maybe he felt like the ball was going to hit Burnbaum on its way and he was reacting to that. Um, but for whatever reason, he didn't judge the flight of the ball and, and, um, that's life. Um, but you know, most, most of United's play did enough to cover up for it. They did enough to make up for uh, one mistake. Um, in most of the game, but they still end up not coming away with a win here because the defending overall wasn't very good. Um, and it wasn't that the Red Bulls were putting them in a situation where they would be bad. It was, it was just not very good on the day. One guy who was really good on the day, however, Luciano Acosta, um, goal and an assist in this one, giving him eight and 13 on the year, which if you had told anyone at the beginning of the year that he'd end the season with that, that people would take it in a heartbeat and there's still uh, six games left. So five of them at home. So this right. is, this is a good year for Lucho um, career year. People are saying uh, most of it has been since Wayne Rooney arrived um, for anyone keeping score at home. 13 assists is good for fourth in the league two off the pace of the league leader. Um, I think there's a game in hand involved there too. So if Lucho has a chance to, to be at the top of the assists table at the end of the year, which, and, and well, he's also scoring more goals now than he ever has. So this is I, pretty good. I, I can't remember who tweeted this out. I, it's, I think it's one of the guys from extra time radio, but um, I think the point, it, it might've been Andrew Wiebe, but um, the point was that if United gets into the playoffs that, uh, Lucho might merit legitimate MVP talk. And I think there's a good argument for it because this team, uh, you know, it, it's telling that when you ask 
or if you look around DC United Twitter, if you talk to people after games, um, there are plenty of people who are still asserting that Lucho is the, actually the key player on this team that has Wayne Rooney on it. Um, <laughs> and that kind of says it all uh, because it's not like Rooney has showed up and, and been okay. He's been really good. Um, but yeah, uh, Acosta is over that uh, 20 combined goals and assists plateau, and he's got plenty of time to do more. Um, and not, it's not just that it's in the big moments. I mean, his goal should have been the game winner, not just because when you score with that much time left, you shouldn't give up a goal. Um, but also it was like, it felt worthy of the moment. Um, you know, it, it was, Emil a, it Sato- would have been a, a real contender for goal goal of the week. If Zlatan hadn't scored the goal of the year in the same well, week. If, and also if, I mean, I, for me, Rooney's finish was better than Lucho's goal um, because of how just utterly ridiculous it was in terms of difficulty. Um, yeah, that's true. But you know, it, it it's a it's it's a it's an imperious kind of goal. Um, like Lucho was trying to shut the door on this game. He, um, he, it wasn't just a goal to score a goal. It was a goal with uh, a lot of personality behind it. It was a goal that said, like, y- you know, you guys should quit. Um, you know, it's a nice give and go with him and Assad. Um, but the finish itself uh, to walk in the way he did and then just sort of scoop it up over Robles. It's a, it's a goal. It's, I think he's trying to communicate something. He's saying like, you, you guys should let, let it, let it go. And, you know, unfortunately to the Red Bulls uh, credit, they didn't, they've got a strong team mentality. There are in most teams in the league. I think that goal would have broken them. I think that would have been the end of the game. Um, unfortunately for DC, they were playing one of the teams that actually has that collective will to keep fighting. Um, and, you know, that sucks, but, you know, Lucho's been superb um, for, t- what, two or three months now. Um, he's, he's It's been great to watch. It's been entertaining, and um, it'll have to keep going because this team really does lean on him. It's not just that he's in good form. They really do need him to keep delivering at this level every single week. And yeah, it's at- oh, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to throw out there that Lucho's uh, assist total so far this season is the best for a DC United player since 2004 when Jaime Moreno had 14 assists. And so Lucho ties that with one more assist, bests it with two more assists. So just and to reiterate how ridiculous his season has been so far this year. And I'll throw in with that, that uh, that season Moreno was absolutely robbed of the MVP award by uh a bunch of fools voting for Amado Guevara based on a half season of play. Um, and to this day, it's utterly, it's, it's the worst MVP decision in league history. Um, he Moreno was absolutely the MVP of MLS that year. And anyone that disagreed with that is disqualified from giving opinions about soccer. <laughs> uh, the team actually uh, quoted a stat similar to, to Ben's the, the first time since Moreno in 04 that a DC United player has hit 13 assists. Only the third DC United player ever to do it after Moreno. And of course, Marco Echeverri. Uh pretty good company in DC United history to, to be in there for, right. for Lucho. And it, the point you made, Jason, um, about Wayne Rooney is, is really well made too, because I think the two of them, as many words, much digital ink has been spilled to say, the two of them feed off of each other. They make each other better. And, and that's fantastic for, for this team. Rooney's on 
six assists and five goals right now. I think my hyper optimistic take uh, before he played a game for for DC United was he he would get seven goals and six assists in fourteen hundred minutes. He's already almost there in eleven hundred minutes, and there's six games to go. So, uh, and and I said fourteen hundred minutes might be the most optimistic part of that scenario and he he's right now on pace to eclipse every single one of my optimistic predictions and lucho and his relationship with with lucho is a big part of the reason why um so yay those guys uh let's talk tactics dc united did something interesting in this game and it it wasn't just switching from a 4-1-4-1 to a 4-2-3-1 ben olsen threw a curveball you know, mix my sports metaphors. Uh, he came out in a, a three back system that I think could be described in any number of ways. Um, uh, uh, I, I don't even want to assign numbers in front of that three because it, it was fluid. You could say Lucho was a second forward. You could say that he and Rooney were, were both kind of semi forwards. It was, it was very fluid, but it was a three back system. Nonetheless, Burnbaum, Briant, and Jalen Robinson getting the start in the back with Ariola and Mora at wing back. Um, I they they came out and they they outplayed the Red Bulls for a big stretch in the first half. Jason, what did you see out of it, and and um, what are your takeaways? I mean, I, I would to avoid getting too complicated. I would just call it a three-five-two. Um, I see MLS soccer has it listed as some sort of three, four, three. I don't think that's accurate, Um, but that's, or I shouldn't say MLS soccer. That's on Opta. That's an Opta thing. Um, If you see mistakes like that, it's uh, Opta has, I've lost some faith in Opta uh, quite frankly, over the last couple of years for some of the mistakes they've made in both MLS and NWSO, but we're not the um, uh, stat keeping uh, criticism podcast. Um, but yeah, three five two with um, you know the the idea being uh, to flood central midfield by having uh, Acosta and Rooney both dropping off as they like to do. Um, I think Olsen's focus here was to flood the center a third of the field. If you divide the divide it vertically, um, to flood that area with numbers. Um, because the Red Bulls love to pack, they, they love to bring their wide players in. And so they like to crowd that part of the field as well. That's part of the reason why they have success. Um, and it's to match them for numbers and say, if you guys are going to flood this area, you're going to find just as many people here, uh, as you pack the middle with, and therefore your advantage is mitigated. Um, and after that, I think, um, I think there's a lot of faith in Acosta and Rooney to just sort of figure out the attacking end on their own and not try and not get in their way too much by giving them too many specific instructions. Um, And I think it, it, I think it worked for 20 to 25 minutes. Um, I think it worked pretty well in that period of time, but not too long after Ariola's goal, um, the Red Bulls started to figure out how to pass it away. And I don't think it was Chris Armas changing anything. I think the Red Bulls players just figured it out on the field. They figured out where the spaces were going to be and started moving into those spots and then finding each other that way. Um, I thought by halftime that, you know, their goal was lucky for them, but I don't think it was particularly unfair that it was one, one at halftime. Um, So, you know, 
I understand um, Olson's rationale, and I think it's a good thing to. I, one, I think it's a good, you know, a good option to have with this group. Um, it does hinge, and I've said this over and over to anyone that suggests a three-five-two this season, um, or or any variation thereof. I've always brought up like, what do you do with Yamil Assad? Um, because Yamil Assad is one of the three or four best players on the team, and that formation doesn't provide a, spa- a place for him to be at his best. And sure enough, he comes into the game after the second half, which featured two different formation switches, which were both pretty fascinating to me as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was nice to see Olsen have the faith in not just the team, but also himself, quite frankly, to make a pretty bold tactical move. Um to, to go at the Red Bulls in a different way than in the past. And I think it worked for a time. It just didn't work for long enough for them to get to halftime with that lead. Um, and then they bring Fisher in and, and switch to what seemed like a Christmas tree uh, more than anything else. Well, let's, let's talk about that. Um, Cause a Christmas tree is not a look of four, three, two, one is not something DC United's done much of either. Yeah, it was it was definitely not what I expected. Um, you know, from the press box, we could see Fisher warming up at halftime by himself, and it was like, all right, that's a pretty obvious sign. He's going through a real warm up to get into the game. Um, and the expectation a lot of people had uh, watching that was either they're going to try him as part of the back three, or maybe they're going to remove Ariola. Um, it wasn't one hundred percent clear what was going to happen, and instead. Robinson comes out. Um, Fisher and Mora are fullbacks at that point, and they go to um, a th- that layer of three was Ariola, Canaus, and Moreno. Moreno was on the left of that three, and that was definitely not what I would have expected uh, with with that group of players. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think it was very good either. Right, and there's a reason why it only lasted for about ten minutes. I think it it was pretty unorthodox. Um, I think it did serve to sort of confuse the Red Bulls. I think it just also left United with too many problems of their own. Um, there was a moment where Junior Moreno actually ended up on the ball just outside the box. And it. I think he took a shot that got blocked in the end, but it was definitely a like, well, what am I doing up here? Um, there was definitely like everyone in the stadium too was like, what is going on here? This isn't where you're supposed to be. Um <laughs> So after 10 minutes, they got up um, off the bench and they actually had um, now I'm forgetting. It wasn't Francisco Tobar. Um, They had somebody else on the training staff um, up off the bench to help communicate the, to the Spanish speaking players, the form, a new formation switch. And it was pretty much at the 55th minute when this was going on. And before you know it, it was Segura out on the left, Ariola out on the right, uh, Lucho underneath Rooney, and uh, Canals and Moreno together. Um, and it wasn't long after that that Rooney scored his goal. Um, I think United played their best soccer in, even though even though it was from that from the point of that formation change to the end of the game, that game finished 2-2, I think United played their best soccer of the game in that formation. I think they look more assured playing out of that, um, which makes perfect sense, right? Like it's the way they've been playing for a while now, why wouldn't they look better in that than two new formations? One of which, I mean, Olsen has mentioned a three, five, two several times this year. He hasn't mentioned a four, three, two, one at all. Um, 
So I don't know how much time they've spent on that, that second one. Um, but, you know, uh, I like that Olsen didn't just try and repeat the past and say, like, well, if we just play better, we'll we'll get the win against them. He was willing to roll the dice to to get over the hump against the Red Bulls, and it, it almost worked. It should have worked. Um, it, it From a process perspective, I think overall it went fairly well. It should have resulted in three points, uh, and against most other teams in the league, it probably does. Uh, it just... You know, it wasn't United's day in the little moments of luck that they needed um, where, you know, their normally very dependable goalkeeper makes a mistake. Uh, their normally very dependable striker ends up, you know, blowing a one on one on another day. You're not talking about a draw and we're not the frustration that's in our voices isn't there because we're talking about a win over a rival. Um, so, yeah, I thought, you know, the three, five, two overall, it has a place in United's rotation. The Four three two one. I don't know if we'll see it uh, this season. We might see it down the road if different players are in place. But um, with that eleven on the field, it didn't really fit. And there's a reason why they switched it so quickly. One thing you mentioned uh, earlier that I think is is true of at least the the two formations United spent ninety percent of the game in. Um, that they, they're pretty good. They're in fact, they might be really good when they play on the front foot, and they are really not when they're, excuse me, when they're playing on the back foot. When they when they have to defend for long stretches, that's when they things start to fall apart. But when uh, when they're feeling empowered and confident and able to get even a little bit of a press on or or maintain some possession, you you see the swagger come out, and and it's not false swagger. It's not posturing it's they're having fun and they're really good and it's just expressing themselves you hear coaches say that and that's that's what that is that's what the swagger is it's them expressing themselves because they're having fun and playing well and and when united can can get on the ball more and and keep the ball in the attacking half that's when they're at their best and that hasn't always been true it seems obvious well yeah if you're close to the other team's goal and you have the ball of course you're going to be playing better but that wasn't always true for for dc united i remember years when united would have the ball in the attack and they'd have to commit so many numbers forward to have a chance of scoring that they were always at their most fragile when they were in the attack and that united's still vulnerable on the counter but they're also way way better than they were in some of those those years when you'd be afraid anytime you saw a fullback on the ball in the attack um that's not the case anymore because O'Neill Fisher's turned into a valuable asset to this team. Joseph Mora has turned into a pretty good asset at times too. So anything yeah, else I, on the play on the field? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, I just wanted to mention that uh, while they, yes, they definitely played their best in the four, two, three, one, but I think that the goals were scored still showed that as we've talked about all year, they've had, they, they have a problem at center back and it, hasn't been addressed this year and it can't be addressed this year. And it's something that they're going to have to figure out in the off season. And I think this formation with Wayne Rooney, with Lucho Acosta, with their attacking midfielders is a great option going forward and with their central midfielders, but they've got to figure out that uh, central defense in the off season to make this a real viable, like they, 
they could make this a top tier MLS team if they get a a TAM level center back, but that's what they've got to do in the offseason. And we said that we've said that this entire year that they need a TAM level center back and they didn't do it. And they're showing why that's an issue now. Yeah, it's a it it might be especially an issue over the I mean, luckily DC United has a bye week this week because one of the reasons they switched to the the exact three back they did was because Kofi Opare is injured. And we we found out from an Instagram post from Frederick Beyond that he might not be practicing right now because of a concussion suffered over the weekend. And I'm pretty sure I know the exact moment that happened. It was about 12 seconds before uh, Bradley Wright Phillips' second goal. He and Steve Birnbaum clashed heads at midfield, and he went down. Um, and for some reason, Alan Kelly decided to let... Injury. Not, what was not, a, not a suspected head injury, but a clear head injury. Yes. He went down to the ground holding his head in his hands. Like, it was really obvious. And even if Alan Kelly didn't see it, there's no way the fourth official didn't. There, There's no way both assistants missed it. They have headsets. They need to be in his ear saying, stop play, there's a head injury. And the fact that that didn't happen, that that even if they were saying that to Alan Kelly, he didn't stop play. Um, whether or not this goal happens, uh, in the absence of, of the, it, it, it was bad from Alan Kelly. Um, but for DC United, the, the thing we can take going forward is that's two of the top three center backs on the team that might be out depending on whether Briant can come back in the next, uh, week plus or, yeah. or Kofi Opari can come back in that time. Um, otherwise, we're looking at Steve Birnbaum and Jalen Robinson or Steve Birnbaum and Chris Durkin in the back, um, which, which are Kevin both Ellis. or or maybe Kevin Ellis, who started um, against Olympia right. in, in the friendly but, at center back. Yeah, but but in all three cases, it's, you know, you're getting down your depth chart pretty quickly. Yeah, and I know a lot of people like I was intrigued by by Durkin's little cameo at center back in between uh stints at defensive midfield against uh, Minnesota. He stepped back into defense for a little while um, in between Kofi Opari coming off and Frederick Briant coming on, ironically enough. Um, So I'd be interested to see him back there. I'm excited for the chance to see Jalen Robinson get more minutes, uh, especially next to see Birnbaum. But at the same time, I don't want our center backs to be hurt. <laughs> um, I would like Ben Olsen to have his choice of players, right. not just for, for a game. Whoever's that, left for, for a game that feels like it, the entire season hinges on it. Uh, yeah, yeah. A little bit. Yep. <laughs> You'd like to have maybe more of your best options available than not. Yeah. But you know, you go to soccer with the team you have as the old saying goes. I think that's the old saying. Anything yep. else from this one before we uh, take a break and come back? Hearing I think, nothing. I think we covered it. All right. Please stick around. We'll be right back to talk a little bit about DC United's playoff push. Um, and, and we're going to open up the Twitter box. So please stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben. Um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, 
Well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Very quickly to start this segment, the Black and Red hosted CD Olympia of Honduras uh, in a, the, the first ever international friendly type game at Audi Field. Um, the first midseason friendly DC United has played in uh, a few years now. It ended one to one. Our own Jason Anderson was one of a handful of people in attendance at, at, at this one. Jason. What did you see? Um, I saw United field a team made up of several Richmond kickers players. Um, uh, try and hang on against a team that was basically playing, as far as I can tell, Olympia's best lineup. Um, several Honduran internationals in the starting lineup. These are guys that have been through a lot. They've played in the Champions League a bunch of times. Um, and The CONCACAF uh, Champions League. Yeah, clear. well, it's it's the Champions League. Um, it is that, that other one can oh. can go on as as much as people want to talk about it. That one um, can suck rocks. I mean, we have no access to it. Like, we can't get into it. So screw them. Um, yep. But uh, Fair. you know, they given given the circumstances of a bizarre, hastily scheduled friendly uh, that was pinned up way too close to an actual game. Um, and given the fact that you, I mean, from the soccer side, it looked to me like United was the players that were on the field were giving it their all, but also like Chad Ashton was doing a lot of the standing on the edge of the technical area coaching. Um, so it, it had a reserve match feel to it. Um, but for the guys that were out there and this came through after the game, we, when we talked to them, um, it meant a lot. Um, it was you know, good, a good round of practice for them is better than training because you can't replicate playing against an actual team. Um, so that part was good for someone like, you know, Kevin Ellis said that, uh, he could not afford to treat this as anything other than a real 100% important game, because this is his first chance to show it, show his teammates and the coaching staff, what he can do. Um, you know, Travis Wara said the same thing. Travis Wara also was, um, gutting out a very uh, raspy voice. I think he was in the process of losing his voice. Um, 
And he was apologetic trying to speak to us afterwards because it was it was tough for him to get the words out. I think the last little bit of voice he had left was dedicated to shouting out commands to the guys in front of him. Um, But, yeah, it was it was a little weird. Um, Definitely a short crowd and a short press box. Um, And, uh, you know, I, I I. I'm impressed with the guys that were there for gutting it out because there is definitely a, you know, they didn't have time to train. The guys from the kickers literally arrived that day. So they probably had time to like, look at a whiteboard with positions and, you know, a 10 minute talk on general ideas, um, which is not normally how it goes. Normally you're a little more prepared for a game than that. Um, But that was the situation. United did not want to risk anyone they didn't have to risk. They didn't dress almost anyone on. Uh, I mean, their bench was 100% non DC United players. Um, well, the closest thing to a starter in this game was Chris Durkin. Right. Uh, who got, uh, he caught a stray hand or an elbow or a forearm in the face, um, which is just great. Um, he actually had a pretty, pretty obvious bruise on his face after the game. Um and seemed not so much angry as just surprised that it wasn't caught in in real time because it was it was pretty obvious that you know I don't think the guy was trying to actually strike him but he did and that is some kind of violation of the rules you know it's a friendly for the referee too <laughs> it's an uh, exhibition for him the too. referee was it's a pro referee it wasn't just some guy like they got someone from pro um I can't remember now off the top of my head but it's it's someone you would recognize. Um, so that's great as well. That's good news uh, that the referee thing keeps coming up on this show because they keep making big mistakes. Um, but yeah, uh, I thought Durkin looked pretty good. Um, he did what you would expect. Um, Kevin Ellis played really well. Um, lots of emergency defending, which I, I think kind of suits his game as a, when he has to play center back. Um, he's the kind of guy that is throwing himself in front of challenges, beating people to the ball to clear it. Um, being brave, you know, he took a knock maybe, maybe around the 30th minute, uh, that it looked like maybe a back, uh, or a, a top of the hip kind of injury. Um, he definitely was having to tough that out, but continued to play and actually ended up, uh, actually, you know what, that, it, that knock was earlier. Cause it was right after he came back into the game that he ended up getting the assist on, on DC's goal. Um, you know, and Dane Kelly, to his credit, I mean, it wasn't the most impressive finish in the world, but he got a goal. He worked hard. Um, you know, he put himself about on a night where he wasn't really being given a lot in the way of service. Um, he still managed to look a little dangerous. So um, I think he helped himself a little bit. I think he played better in this game than he did in the Open Cup, um, which is saying something given that this was a game with a bunch of guys that he's unfamiliar with that are unfamiliar with him. Um but beyond that, there's not too much to take from it because it was a friendly where DC had many guests and not many actual players from their team. And uh, it didn't really make a lot of sense that it happened at this time. I mean, one, I thing, think that that... one thing that occurs to me is with the Richmond kickers dropping down to USL D3 next year as they've confirmed is their plan and with Loudoun County coming online next year I, I I'm curious if some of the what was it eight kickers players six kickers players five three the the uh, number of of kickers players that were in total yeah it was seven 
Seven kickers three, players. Three started and four were on the bench. Uh, I, I'm curious how many of them thought of it as essentially a, a tryout to stay at the D2 level next year when, when Loudoun County comes on. Um, which, which would be, uh, I, I think, possibly the, the biggest value for DC United as an organization to get some players into to that team or, or at least get some leads on players into that team, get a good look at guys for that. Uh, I, th- I think it's, if that's what, what their intention was, I think that is a worthless, uh, no. I think it's worthless. It's more uh, collateral it benefit than if you're going to have this friendly and they, they wanted to fill dates. They wanted to get uh, members of the, the sizable local Honduran community into the building. And, and from what I understand, there was a decent number of Olympia fans there. They were, yes. they were wilding out a little bit yes. they in were a good loud. way. Um, uh, which is good. Get get them here. Get them watching uh, DC they're, United and and get them engaged. That that's all good, even if they're rooting for Olympia. Um, but a, a secondary benefit to this otherwise mostly worthless exercise is getting a look at guys who you might be able to get into Loudoun County. I wouldn't if the the kickers players impressed, I wouldn't be surprised to see them. And I don't know if they did because I, I couldn't watch this game because it wasn't streamed. Right. I'm just going to say it was a worthless exercise altogether. I I don't think that that benefit, if it was a benefit is, is worth it. I think that uh, throwing players out there that are on the fringe of the, uh, of the first team, like Chris Durkin, who has been starting for a while, uh, and is definitely a player in the eight in the eighteen. Uh, he got injured during the game. Luckily, it's not going to keep him out of any games. It seems like, but in in friendlies like this in the past, uh, Kyle Porter, for example, got uh, injured and was out for a while in a, a the twenty thirteen version uh, of this game. Uh, Ian Harks is a player that sometimes makes the eighteen. Um, I don't think that this was worth it for this team. And I just hate all of these summer friendlies. I think that they are at odds with what this league is trying to do, what this team is trying to do. And it's it's just a weird artifact of what the league has used to been. And this league has to figure out what it's doing and has to figure out if they are a league that has summer friendlies or if they are a league that is concentrated on the playoffs coming down the pike and what these teams need to do to try and win their uh, uh, club competitions. Well, I think the league, as much as we want to say that it's an artifact of what the league used to be, the Chicago, Chicago Fire just spent, what, three weeks in Germany in the middle of the season? I wouldn't granted granted they're not in a playoff push, but the Red Bulls did this a few years ago, going to not not playing midseason friendlies in New Jersey, but going to London to to play in the Emirates Cup um in at in, in Arsenal's preseason tournament. Um I hate and, all and the Chicago Fire just did that too. So this is a thing that's still happening and it's but I hate it. it's I a problem. I, I don't like it either. Yeah. Um but next year's DC United season ticket package includes 
three friendly games. It's a 20 game package instead of an 18 game package. They're only 17 league games. Um, and they specifically say three friendlies. So it's not like these are open cup uh, games that, that they're selling tickets to as part of the season tickets. Um, yeah, contact your ticket rep and say that those suck and you don't want to, you don't want them. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of them either. Um, but that's well, what they, they decide to do. Well, I think part of this and not, I mean, I'm, I'm, you guys know I'm I'm all all in on focusing on the actual competitive aspect of MLS and not gussing it up with um, a friendly against some team that's you know oh this is your actual team that you really care about and you just you know you spend time with MLS because it's what's nearby. Um, I don't I don't go for that at all. I think you should care about your MLS team full stop. It shouldn't need dressing up. Um, in DC's case, um, the terms of being at Buzzard Point include make occupying that building on a certain number of days a year. Um, they're on the hook for getting extra things in there. And so friendlies um, hosting the spirit uh, high school, local high school football, uh, Howard university football, all of those things are fulfilling a legal obligation. It's not fun. Like I'm not excited that we're going to have inconveniently timed friendlies in this one their roster from the game obviously states how inconveniently timed it was. Um, but DC's kind of stuck with it um, this year more than most because this year's schedule is so wild. Um, but yeah, that they're kind of on the hook for getting that building open and open for business and having a thing on the field um, X number of times. And so um, they're kind of stuck. I, I don't think it's fair to put that on supporters that buy season tickets um, I think at the very least there should be something in that plan where it's like, look, you can buy the 20, the 20 game package and just not have to worry about it. Or you can buy a package that is just regular season only. Um, you should have the option to opt out of friendlies being just bundled in and having, you know, having no choice, but to pay for them. I don't, I don't think that's fair, but, um, I think we're kind of stuck with, these extra dates for a long, we're going to be seeing friendlies for a long time with this team. And um, I think a lot of teams in the league are in a similar space, uh, space one way or another. It's either the revenue from the friendly is, is worth it on the business side. And they're worth you know, for the team, they say, okay, we're going to yell that, but we have to do it. Um, in DC's case, they've got to have X number of, I don't remember how many events it is, but it's more than 17. So um, it's the way it is, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll just end with my point from the article I wrote four years ago, which shocks me that I've even been writing about soccer that long. Uh, it's just that it's it, it's one thing if it if it's a team like uh, Manchester United, Inter Milan, any any sort of world class team, but it's another thing if it's just a if it's a mid-level team that is not going to draw fans. And I know it's hard to draw those top-level teams, but fulfilling things for contractual obligations is, I guess, the name of legalese, and Adam can talk about that if he wants to, but... uh, I don't. I know you don't. Uh, But it, it, it doesn't help anyone besides 
it doesn't help anyone to just fulfill, just to throw a game out there like this Olympia game that had no marketing, had no uh, push. It just right. randomly happened and some people showed up. That doesn't right. help anybody. Yeah. yeah, it can't be slapdash no matter who you bring in. Um, yeah. And this was definitely a, um, you know, at some, some disconnect happened where this game was scheduled without... Um, too much consultation on the, the other sides of having a game. Like, will we have enough players? Uh, is this too close to our existing games or how will we get people in the building? How will we market this? Um, I will give the team some credit. I think this is an important point that for people that weren't there, they might not have noticed. Uh, they had Spanish language uh, stadium announcements throughout the game um, beforehand and during. And that's, I think that's important. I think that should be kept in place going forward. I don't think if, if we're back, they had that at RFK for a lot of years. Right. And if we're back there against Montreal and those have disappeared, I would be disappointed. Um, I think the team needs to do more of that kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a positive. Um, And this was technically in the stadium marketed as the Telemundo 44 challenge. I think if they, started having more of a link with the local Spanish broadcasters, that would be great. Um, yes. But on the other hand, uh, it can't feel like, you know, well, we got, we got one channel to put our, their name on this friendly um, and we got an announcer and that's it. it. It has to be, you know, Ben's right. It has to be, if you're going to go through the motions of having these extra friendlies, you need to build them up so that enough people show up. I mean, I will say plenty of people showed up for Olympia. Um, it's just that outside of DC's supporter stand, there weren't too many people there for DC United. Um, yeah, I'll say I have season tickets and I, I return them for fam for the, the fan allocation money. Um, the the kind of store credit that I think that happened a lot. Yeah. And <laughs> well, if I think United Ryan... has three of these next year, hopefully mm-hmm. one or two will be against very big clubs and I can sell my tickets on the secondary market. And and recoup some of my uh, outlay for season tickets, right? Uh, rather than just getting store credit, essentially. Um, and yeah, you were going to say Ryan Kiefer. He he upgraded yeah, he to a club yeah. seats for um, for an earlier game I, this I mean, year. Yeah, and and I know part of his motivation was um, the fact that coming from Leesburg to uh, DC on a Wednesday night while you have a kid uh is uh, uh is several hurdles too many um for a friendly match um but yeah i imagine that a lot of season ticket holders probably a majority of season ticket holders um took their tickets for this game and exchanged them for the fan program to get something else whatever it was um because certainly they didn't they, you know i think we got a tweet um during or before the game from uh mark rickling i want to say sent this to us that um the secondary market uh, for this game, including fees, was like eleven dollars to get a ticket. Yeah. Um, so awesome. certainly the team, you know, certainly there wasn't demand for the tickets in that market. So I assume that everyone just was like, just give me the, you know, the food discount or upgraded ticket or whatever. Um, There's a twenty. You you can get a twenty five dollar Talon bobblehead with fan okay. maybe, maybe and I, I don't know if they sell that anywhere else or if it's only available on fan right. but if you think i haven't ordered one uh you're out of your mind and you haven't been listening <laughs> to this podcast very long well yeah i was gonna say uh, did you get that for your daughter um yeah it's totally for her 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> She'll get to look at it. Yeah. Uh, let, let's, uh, we're in the home stretch now of the actual, uh, season that matters. And, uh, that's part of why this friendly was so mind boggling and weird. Um, but DC United right now are, uh, just outside of the actual playoff. Well, they're in the playoff picture, but they're outside of the playoff positions in the Eastern conference currently, on 35 points, four points behind Montreal in sixth place. Um, United have a game in hand, and it's worth noting that even though you can only get three points in a game, United still control their own destiny because the very next game is against Montreal um, in in the very definition of a six-pointer. If United win that game, then they're one point back with a game in hand. And actually two games in hand at that point. They might be four points back with two games in hand or whatever because Montreal plays a game and we don't know what they're, what's going to happen in that game yet. Um, but but United, if they beat Montreal, they have a very good chance of making the playoffs if they lose to Montreal. Um, and we'll, we'll actually preview this game on next week's show. Um, but if they lose to Montreal, then, then that's a, a really, really big uh hurdle <laughs> a big that puts dc in, that puts dc in like win every single one of your remaining games territory yeah yeah ben olsen re- declined to to refer to it as a must win after the game against the red bulls but but said it, it's a game we'd really like to win <laughs> yeah um coaches are never gonna label a game must win um just because if you don't the psychological toll right. of failing yeah. to win a what you have labeled a must win is, is even worse than the, what would happen otherwise. But um, we're allowed to call it must win. And I think all of us are going to do that. Yep. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, they're four points back. They might be seven points back coming into that one, um, depending on whether NYCFC ends their current uh, existential crisis where they just don't know what to do with themselves. Um, So, yeah, uh, it's as big as they come. Um, even if they win, I mean, if, if Montreal beats uh, the pigeons and uh, DC then beats Montreal next weekend or not next weekend, but the weekend after that, um, we're still looking at a four point gap with two games in hand, which means that the margin is there. Uh, the, the, the option is there to get it done, but it's still a very, very narrow margin. And United has NYCFC, some, uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah, United have some very winnable games, two two games against Chicago, for instance, but they, they've also got Toronto FC, who are in ninth place, but capable of beating anybody on their day. If if Sebastian Jovinko shows up like he always seems to do against DC United, um, they, they are like very BWP. tough out. Yeah, he, he's the, the smaller Italian BWP. I think that's how they refer to him. Uh, Philadelphia is in fifth place with 43 points um they got three really big really uh, surprising points against seattle ending the sounders nine game win streak this weekend at CenturyLink field uh on a late goal from fafa pico they just they lost to montreal and then beat seattle and what was probably the the worst results those games could have been for dc united um and especially like it's philly going midweek to seattle yeah 
Seattle's You're not on supposed a to win those games. Yeah, Seattle's on a record-setting winning streak, and Philly's going midweek across country. Like those are not games that teams win in general in MLS. Um, so yeah, that was definitely awful news to find out when I got home last night. Yeah, and it, that game was weird too. Uh, Seattle's midseason DP attacking acquisition Raul Rui Diaz goes out injured uh in the first half uh Will Bruin comes in almost scores a couple of times but can't quite uh score another guy who would have scored against DC United had it been us on the field um and then Philly Stefan Fry just gifts them a goal, passes the ball to Fafa Pico, who just then five holes him. It was, <laughs> it was such a weird ending. It was like both teams just wanted to stick it to DC United, which is not at all actually true, but it it feels true. It's it's that Stephen Colbert truthiness, I think. Um. Anyway, the the point stands. United still very much in control of their own destiny, but they have to make it stick. Basically, uh, it's it's not an easy path, but they have to there's control a their destiny. Yeah, they have to actually exert that control, but they they have they they have agency, which is more than a lot of teams have right now. So um, the trick is using it. Who wants to do a Twitter box? Well, it sounds like we're going to anyway. Yeah, that that was more <laughs> rhetorical than anything. Yes. Uh, a, light, a lightning round. Nah, we won't do a lightning round. We'll we'll give ourselves more flexibility than that. It's it's not late yet. Uh, we have a question from Vikas Mendirada uh, at V Mendirada, spelled just like it sounds uh, on Twitter. What do you guys think of the new pathway to pro system? Uh, Charlie Bohm broke the news and and then went in depth a little bit. Uh, he also appeared on Greg Roach's podcast uh, about this. Uh, I it. it sounds like so pathway to pro is a partnership dc united has with local elite uh youth clubs essentially i think five of them are involved including some that united had previously had a pretty acrimonious relationship with where they were vying for the same players dc united would pull players out of their systems which I think they viewed as costing them money and they weren't compensated because in the U S we don't have solidarity payments or training compensation. And so when a player moves on, that's it. The, that club doesn't get the benefit of the player anymore. Um, in other countries, like in, in all of Europe and in South America, um, when a, a youth Academy develops a player and he moves on and is then sold for lots of money, then that money does trickle down to that club. I, I I can't remember who it was. There was one player whose youth club ended up making several hundred thousand dollars when he got sold to a Premier League club, and that saved that youth club. It was going to fold, and instead now they have like pristine facilities because they got this influx of cash, and they're able to keep moving. Um, and that's a good thing, and I would really like MLS and U.S. soccer more more than MLS to implement this system. There are things preventing that um, right now, but theoretically what happened. Yeah. Theoretically that yeah. right uh, now, the yeah. things preventing it are the MLS players union. Well, that, that and us soccer is convinced that legally speaking, um, I believe it's American antitrust law or something like that would uh, prevent this from happening. 
Right. Um, they believe that, but but it's a belief. It's not proven. There's no track record that says that, that they definite. There's no precedent in place saying yes, you would get in trouble. Um, right. It it would essentially be a restriction on employment. It would be an extra cost right. to buying players. Essentially, it would also be an added benefit to selling players. Uh, or I guess it it wouldn't be because you'd be paying a portion of that transfer fee down the line. So it it is arguably a restraint of trade from an antitrust perspective because of that. But if the players union signs off on the notion that it's legitimate and it serves a pro competitive purpose of developing these other competitors, these other clubs, then suddenly you have uh, the players union is against it. Yeah, that's yes. Yeah, that's what I said. If they came around to the notion that it actually is good for the competition to develop players then and, and good for the market, then you don't have a, a strong other side in a court case. You don't have a, you, you might have an individual player who would bring a suit or an individual club that doesn't want to pay it. But um, by and large, I think you, if you have most of the, the stakeholders on one side, then, then, you couldn't go forward with it and the court would, would probably see the, the consensus argument. Whereas right now it's, it's more acrimonious and and more adversarial and who knows what happens at that point. Um, But pathway to pro uh, it's good that DC United is on better terms with their, their, their other youth youth clubs in, in the region. Uh, I was clicking around online and reading in, in some forums, um, youth soccer parents basically uh and and some of them are skeptical just because there is that past acrimonious relationship and charlie bohm has written about this before as well um but it it sounds like it's a good step and it's cool that pipeline soccer uh santino caranta's uh academy in baltimore is involved i think that's really cool broadening the net a little bit more not just looking at northern virginia and the very close dc suburbs but but casting a wider net to include baltimore as well i think is a good thing um i I commend anyone who wants to hear more on this to go listen to sphere of roach uh from dc 101 roach is doing one he, he does daily podcasts essentially and he's now dedicating one episode a week to DC United and he's done it for a couple weeks now. Definitely go listen to that. Um, anything you guys want to add on youth development pathway to pro anything else? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it is a, a long necessary program. It is a codification of what uh, a lot of teams are doing across the country uh, in both the MLS space and in the USL space. Um, and yeah, it's it's good to see, and it's going to allow them to uh, just vertically vertically integrate what they've already been doing, and hopefully, it'll allow them soon to uh, stop charging for their academy and just integrate everything together. But it's good to see, and hopefully, it'll allow them to just cast a wider net and integrate all of the disparate organizations throughout the uh, DMV area. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's, it, I think it's progress, but I, I hope that it's not all the progress um, yes. because I think, um, and if you talk to anyone 
that spends a lot of time in the youth development. I mean, anytime we've had to write about youth development, uh, just to pull the curtain back a little bit, it is difficult because there are a ton of different people that are involved. They all have different takes. They all have different axes to grind that some of, some of these things are long, long standing uh, gripes. Some of them are very legitimate uh, problems. Some of them are fictional problems that people are hung up on. Um, and it's difficult to parse them. Um, it happens with the spirit. It happens with DC United. Um, and it's not something that goes away easily. This is something that DC probably took years to get these five clubs on board. And maybe, you know, you know, you guys mentioned Santino Quaranta. That might be an easier one uh, with Pipeline to get going. Um, some of these other clubs, it probably took a long time to build that trust to the point that this happened. Um, but uh, it's it's something they're going to have to keep working on. I think that if they become the professional uh, club that local youth players end up funneling up towards. Um, that's really good for them. Um, that's really good for the team, but it's not something that's going to happen because, you know, five clubs fell in line. It's not going to happen uh, for everybody. It's going to take a long time um, for them to win those clubs over. And, and in some cases they might never uh, because that's the way this region's, um, you know, the, all the various youth clubs, it's, it's very fractional. It's very um, complicated and very difficult to navigate. And so the fact that I got this far is good. Um, but also if they want to go further and I think they do, I think the indications are that they want to, this is just the beginning for them, but it's going to take a lot and don't, don't expect, you know, five or six clubs every couple of months. It's it's probably going to be something where maybe one club gets added a year or something like that. It's going to take a lot of work um, for them to keep building, but they've started the ball rolling and that's more than we could say before. Yeah, before they had kind of an ad hoc uh, affiliate club structure, which we don't really know what that meant other than basically coaches would be recommending players to matriculate up to DC United's academy when they aged out of whatever club they were in. And and now there's actually going to be guest appearances. You can be invited from one Academy to join DC United for the GA cup or, or uh, different tournament events and, and showcases that can get you into college, get you noticed by college scouts and also you know, potentially lead to DC United's uh, Academy for, for, older kids for 15, 16, 17 year olds um, without actually leaving your, your youth club that you are with. And I think that's the part that, that the youth clubs are interested in. Um, and who knows, maybe, maybe there, I, I think Vancouver has paid solidarity payments and training compensation to local clubs in their region. So it sounds like MLS clubs have the option to do that. Even if MLS is, Side is following U.S. soccer's rule that it's not required. I don't know if that's a part of this. It would be interesting if it was, just from a, an observer standpoint. I think, um, but it the relationship is is getting better, and it's you know the the flip side of coming of starting up as a professional club in an area known as a a youth soccer hotbed is there's lots of established interests in youth soccer. And like Jason said, that's tough to navigate. Yeah. I think it's also just 
Canada is allowed to do things that the uh, United States clubs aren't willing to do. And uh, we can talk a lot about how we think the, U- the United States clubs should uh, do that. But I think that's where the initial risk assessment is coming from. And yeah, that's a great point. Vancouver is not subject to U.S. soccer. They have their own federation to deal with. So um, Canada has different laws, might take a different standpoint on on those kind of payments. Yeah, I, and uh, I think we're all in, I think on this podcast, we're all in favor of, well, I, I will say for y'all, I think you are all, but I'm definitely in favor of solidary payments and training compensation, which we've never really gotten into on this podcast, which we probably should do a deep dive at some point. But I think we're all in favor of more compensation for youth soccer programs here. Next question comes from Gregory Koch at Gregory Koch, K-O-C-H on, on Twitter. He asks us at filibuster DCU, should DC United replace Talon with a raccoon? Why or why not? No. Are you out of your mind? Do you want to make my daughter cry? Of course they shouldn't replace Talon. Come on. Gregory. Yeah, Think I mean. Before you tweet. Come on. Dude. It would just ruin the good joke. I mean, Talon's, <laughs> Talon's a perfectly fine mascot, and then we wouldn't have a joke about raccoons anymore. So, nah, keep Talon. Talon's great. We, we, we do have a rally raccoon in our house. The yeah, yeah, but it's a good officially like, branded DC United raccoon, um, right? But it's still a fun joke. Yeah, no, I wouldn't mind a secondary mascot, but you have to keep Talon first and foremost. You cannot yeah. get rid of Talon. Yeah. You're killing me, Smalls. Uh, I'll also just add that every stadium has rodents and raccoons in it. Like the raccoon joke has still not. No, st- we're still waiting on somebody to have a good raccoon joke in the last five years. Uh, I'm sorry to everyone that's had one. You've tried one. If they've all, they've all haven't worked. I'm sorry. That's true. Wasn't you, there you've one all camped in yards or something in the last month? Yeah, probably. I mean, they're big. A uh, stadium is designed to lure in uh, raccoons and rodents. They're going to look at that and be like, yes, this is a place for me. There are places for me to get in. It's sheltered. It's probably got some food in it. Um, it's dark. It's life. Most of um, the time. It's, right. it's usually, it's usually empty. Yeah. Right. That's not, I, I'm not knocking Gregory specifically. It's more like raccoon joke fatigue. Um, <laughs> in that literally you cannot mention RFK without someone telling you about how there are raccoons in it. Um, as if it's still funny, but yeah, it this hasn't is, been, it's just been like, yep. Okay. This is why I enjoy the ownership of it. Um, like you, you take something that people tried to mock you with and you just make it your own and and own it and run with it like purdue i went to purdue for undergrad and they have one of the weirdest team name mascots whatever um and i don't think there's another team in the world that that is called the boilermakers and it dates back to a college football game in the late 1800s i think where they they crushed a, a small liberal arts school in Indiana called Wabash College, and the the local paper in the city where Wabash College is, uh, the headline was "Burley Boilermakers Beat Our Our Boys," and the implication was that that Purdue had ringers because there were players that were so big and strong in their team they had to be, you know, the iron workers essentially. And, and Purdue, me- go ahead. And people call me a history nerd. 
Dude, yeah, man, this is this is my school where my 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 team, uh, and and Purdue just took it as a badge of honor and and ran with it, and that's that's why they're called the Boilermakers. So I I don't I I enjoy DC United as a as an organization and DC United fans owning the raccoon thing. When other teams make the jokes, it can't hurt us because we make the jokes ourselves, even if they're not always funny. Uh, next question, Paris or Olifus at Lofus89 on Twitter uh, asks us at filibuster DCU as improved as DC United have been since the arrival of Senior Wayne, are they still essentially a 500 MLS team and in reality unworthy of a playoff spot based on that record alone, let alone overcoming the hole they dug for themselves? I think the last part of that question is actually um, really worth uh digging into um pun and i mean digging i'm not i'm not, not going to talk about not in the way not in the way that he means though uh i think that the hole they dug for themselves is exactly why they are better than their record appears right now um be- because they've since he's arrived they have been uh, a-, a very good team and very worthy of climbing the table a lot of that's the home games that they've had, but they, the eye test tells me they're better too. Uh, I think, no, I, I, I think they, I think they messed it up. I think they did too much to, uh, foist points away in the early season. And yes, they're definitely better now, but if they had won two games that they easily could have in that early season, it wouldn't even be an issue. So I think they, they messed it up. Uh, they may still uh, squeak into the playoffs based on Wayne Rooney's performance, but they were always going to make a big deal in the uh, summer window. And they, they messed it up early in the season. And there's just no other way around it. They, they had plenty of opportunities to even get like four points and four points right now would have made such a big difference. Four points would remove the question mark. But yeah, exactly. I, 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 if United are worthy of being a playoff team, if they make it into the playoffs, and right now they control their own destiny in that, which is, which is enough for me to say that they, uh, they, they will be deserving if they pass Montreal. Mm. I mean, well, of course they'll be worthy worthy if they pass Montreal. That's that's a, yeah, obviously. I think I just think that. They could have done just so much more in the early season that that they just should have. Like it it was right there for them, and they just messed it up. I want to throw it now to intrepid math correspondent Jason Anderson, who I understand has dug up some actual numbers. I mean, I guess first of all, before we even get into that, like the structure of this season with the number of away games early, I think trying to it's like two seasons being played at the same in the same year rather than one coherent season. Um, no one else in the league is playing a schedule remotely similar to DC's. So um, trying to describe them as essentially a 500 team, like I almost don't even want to deal with the question on its, you know, from its very fundamental uh, starting point um, because I don't think you can, I don't think you can say, a, a team is essentially 500 compared to the rest of the teams in the league when they're dealing with a, a schedule that just is completely different from everyone else's. Um, 
But what I will say is that since Rooney arrived, DC's points per game is 1.71 over a full season. That's 58 points, um, which would put them near the top of the league. Um, Not at, but near. Obviously, most of those games are home games, and that makes a huge difference in MLS. Every Almost every team other than Atlanta, just about every team's away record is bad. Um, this is a league where home home field advantage, and it's because of the travel. It's not necessarily because of the support. Um, home field advantage is a very real thing in MLS, and that's part of the reason DC failed in, in those early season games where they came tantalizingly close but couldn't quite get the job done. Some of that was just being on the road. Um, that, you know, physical challenge, that mental challenge uh, coming through late in games or with one mistake here and there. Um, yeah, I I feel like, I mean, the structure of the league requires you to judge uh, the season against other teams point, on a points basis. You, that comparison exists. But beyond that, it's hard to get into um, – using wins and losses this year to actually make a comparison because every other team has played a normal schedule and DC has played this bizarro schedule. Um, I do think at this time, I believe, I believe if we started the season over right now, I wouldn't have any worries about DC making the playoffs at a, at the end of a 34 game schedule starting this week. Um, I think they would get in. I don't think they would contend to win at all but I think they would be solidly with Columbus and NYCFC, like competing for third and fourth, like in that range, um, which would make them definitely better than a 500 team. Um, but we're not, you know, we can't do that. So it, it's, you know, we, we're in this weird space where DC's bizarro schedule has to be compared on, on a, you know, points basis with these teams that have played a normal schedule, there's no avoiding it. Um, but, you know, I, I think this, the, the question kind of frames it as expecting the answer to be yes. And I don't agree with the, I, I guess I just don't agree with the question from a, like I said, from a, it's starting point. Um, and so I, I think this team is better than a 500 team across the meaning of 500 teams for many MLS seasons that we have to look at. Um, I think they are better than that at this point. Yes, but they won't get credit for it if they don't make the playoffs because they had to spend half the season without more than two home games that weren't even home games. Um, I think it's fair to point out that DC is going to finish this season with fewer home games, fewer genuine home games played than anyone else in the league Um, playing at Annapolis and at soccerplex. Those aren't really home games. And um that's not, you know, there's no bonus for it. MLS isn't going to give them a fraction of a point for, you know, for their troubles. Um, so, yeah, it, the whole this whole season has been so weird that it's hard to compare it in any way other than the ways you absolutely have to compare it, which are the standings. Yeah, there's a, a saying that you are what your record says you are, but I think that there's an asterisk to that at Anytime. Yeah. When, when the schedule gets monkeyed with to this extent, then yeah, it's, you know, it's at bizarre. the end of the year, you can say you are what your record says you are, but there's, there, there's a deeper story there. Um, right. This, yes. This is that, a, that's the objective measure, but there's a narrative as well. Right. Try, trying to, exploring. trying to be 
any more objective with this season than the standings point totals, I think is really tough because it just, it's such a strange thing to to go through. Like this year has been utterly bizarre for all of us, for fans, for us writing about the team, for us talking about the team. It, it's strange. Uh, the whole thing is strange and um, it's hard to say what they would do. Um, I mean, I can sit here and say that I think they would do better if, if, um, we were playing a normal 34 game schedule starting today with the teams they have right now, but right. it's theoretical. You know, I I don't yeah. know what this team would actually do with the rhythms of a normal season because we don't have we have zero actual evidence of what the team they have today could do in that scenario. Instead, we've got well, we know they're pretty good right now in this bizarro schedule where there's games every four days and they're almost always at home, um, but that'll never happen again. So what does it, you know, what does it mean going forward? I don't know. Yeah. We'll get to talk about DC United with a regular schedule, at least presumably we'll get to talk about DC United with a regular schedule in 2019. That'll be 2019 back to normal, but in Audi field and not RFK. I, the title needs some work. I admit. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. We'll workshop it. We'll, we'll talk about it off air. Um, that's all the Twitter box questions that, that I've highlighted uh, that I pulled out of the internet for this one. Anything else you guys want to hit before we call it an evening? I don't have anything. I think we probably said enough. That's that was almost certainly true before we <laughs> at, started. At show. long last, have we said enough? <laughs> well, apparently not because we'll be back next week to to preview <laughs> the Montreal game. Uh, thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com, uh, patreon.com slash filibuster if you want to support us financially and help us keep doing this project that has somehow been going for almost six years. Uh, find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. We all have personal accounts which are pretty easy to find as well. Uh, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We, we read all of them, even if we don't mention them on the air or respond. We're pretty bad at responding, but we do read everything. Um, we're an iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, the Internet Archive, wherever you get your podcasts, whatever app you use, we're probably there. If we're not, let us know, and we will try to follow up uh, to make sure we're there next time you look. Mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show when you are out at the bar or talking to someone about soccer. Mention Filibuster. It's a huge favor to us. We really like that. It's even better than ratings and reviews, which I think every podcast is legally required to ask you to do. So please do that, too. Why not? For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk at you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Get online and stay online. Never log off. Log off. It's worth it for your sanity. Never log off.